0: So RLC family, we have a special treat for you today. He's no stranger to most of you. And for sure for Dean and I, we've known him for over 30 years, which we is... We actually got introduced to yes, his ministry. Yes, hard to believe. In high school. Yes, in high school. We powerful met back then. He's even more powerful now. <laughs> and he has a word for you today, RLC. So open your hearts to receive from evangelist and revivalist, Sean Smith. We love you, church. We love you. Hey, you guys, how you guys doing? I'm Sean Smith. I'm so excited to be addressing Real Life Church Sacramento. I sure love you guys. Dean and Amy DeGora are longtime friends. I won't even say how long we go back because I don't even want to put them out there like that, or myself for that matter. But let's just say this. They are phenomenal. They are faithful. They have served the body of Christ in every single way, and they love people and are just, Uh, God-fearing, man, Jesus-loving people, so I'm so excited to address that. I'm super excited, and so right now, wherever you're at, if you're on the couch, if you're in your bed, if you're looking on a computer in your office, right now, get comfortable, get your coffee, call some people, tag this online, whatever you got to do, but I feel like our time together will be so significant that I think it's important that you get in position to receive. Now, 2020, let's just talk for a second, okay? Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Nobody saw this coming, right? You know, in the beginning uh, of 2020, particularly at the end of 2019, there were different prophetic words as to what 2020 would be. And so many people said, 2020, I sense 2020 will be a year of breakthrough. 2020 will be the year of fulfillment. 2020 will be a year where God will, will reach back and answer the promises that he made to you. And all of a sudden, all these people, I even heard 2020 was a year of vision, 2020 vision, right? Eyesight. But let's just get honest. Nobody saw this coming, right? March 17th, when this whole thing shut down because of the COVID virus, we all thought maybe we're in for two weeks and then two weeks became, you know, two months and then two months can become, hey, you know what? We're like almost at the end of August and this thing is still going on. And so many people have said, Why wasn't there a warning given to us about COVID-19? Why wasn't there some sort of alert? And maybe God would alert us that this was coming. But I was having a talk and conversation with my mentor, and we actually arrived at a different vantage point. Let me share that with you. That rather than saying, why weren't we warned about COVID-19? Why weren't we alerted to this elongated shelter in place? Maybe to God, the big event this year is not going to be COVID-19. Maybe COVID-19 is the warning or alert for something God wants to do before this year is over. And I still believe that whatever it is that God has promised you, it's still yes and amen because one little germ virus, one one billionth of a yardstick does not have the power to stop the Almighty. And so I just want to encourage you to believe God Because expectancy is the mother of manifestation. If you will believe, remember, God says, I'm able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So I just want to challenge you to don't lose faith. Don't get discouraged. I recognize times are hard. I recognize this has affect people's pocketbook. It's put a strain on relationships. I recognize that there is a fear out there and even anxiety and angst that has grown in the general populace. But I still believe that heaven has something up its sleeve. And in fact, I want to talk to you about that. If you get ready and if you'd go with me to Acts chapter 12, we're going to look at a passage. But as you're getting ready to look at that passage, I just want to say this. I believe the greatest plans for reaching planet Earth and advancing the kingdom of God are right now on the drawing tables of heaven. Let me say that again. I believe the greatest plans of a move of God, of reaching a harvest, of impacting the earth are on the drawing table of heaven right now as we speak. And you got to understand, Jesus is powerful enough to pull it off. Let's just get the record straight. Jesus is the only leader that says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. No other leader can say that. That what he's saying is that he has an experiential victory over darkness. Jesus saw Satan Fall like lightning. How quick is lightning? That's how quickly Lucifer, as we know Satan, lost his spot. And it wasn't even Jesus that kicked him out of heaven. It was the archangel Michael and other angels. And so let's put this in perspective. Satan has power, but it's derived, it's limited, it has an ultimate shutoff date according to Revelations 20:10. Only Jesus has all power. Can you say all power? Now Talking about all power, this is where I end up at. Back in the day, and I'm old enough to use that term, because if you say back in the day, and you're talking about the early 2000s, you're not old enough to use old school or back in the day. You got to at least go back to the 80s for it to be old school or back in the day. Just just saying, okay? Back in the day, we had our struggles. How many of you remember back in the day where you bought entire albums, to get two and a half songs you liked, right? You buy an entire musical album back in the day with songs you didn't even like, right? Like, we didn't have no iTunes playlist, we didn't have Spotify where you could pick and choose and just purchase the song you like and make your own list. You remember back in the day, that was a problem when you bought an entire album and you're going through, nope, don't like song three, nope, don't like song four, hey, I kinda like song seven. That was a problem, that was a struggle back in the day. You remember back in the day where you developed entire rolls of film only to get two or three pictures you liked? Remember that you would take your your undeveloped film to Walgreens and and you didn't know if the pictures came out, you get it back, somebody had red eye, somebody else had red eye, and if they had red eye in three or more pictures, you was almost trying to cast the devil out of them, okay? You know? I mean, how you know we had our struggles. Nowadays, you have this high-definition camera on your phone phone you can take better pictures on your phone than we could on our polaroid cameras back in the day right back in the day we had our struggles you remember back in the day back in the day when you missed your tv show you missed it right you had to wait 15 years for it to come back out on dvd right i mean nowadays you you know we didn't have any kind of hulu we didn't have netflix we didn't have subscription-based movie channels Back in the day when you missed your show, right? You missed whatever it is you was watching back in the day, right? Magnum P.I., you had to wait 50 years for it to come out on DVD. But having said that, how many of you know, though we had our struggles back in the day, there's a unique struggle that many are fighting today. And this generation has that unique struggle. And here's the struggle. The struggle we have today is over maintaining hope. That becomes one of the most difficult things when you're eyeing something that you think ought to be improving, but in a sense, it seems to not only plateau, but it seems to be going south on you quickly. As I've heard conversations of so many people that are in the midst of the circumstances, situation where we find ourselves, whether that's this situation of a pan- worldwide pandemic, whether that's the situation of the economy, whether that's the situation of civil unrest and the racial divide, we find that our battle is not over something as Humorous today as buying an album with songs you didn't like, or developing entire rolls of film with pictures you didn't like, or having to wait 15 years to see the show you missed. We're battling for hope, and we're battling right now to be in a position to see what it is that God wants to do. Because when you lose hope, hope loss discolors your vision for what is next. Let me say that again. When you lose hope, What it does is it puts a unique lens so that your pessimism sees something in the future that isn't there or fails to see something that should be there. Now, having said that, let me read to you Acts chapter 12, and I love this passage, and I think you will too. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains. Come on, that's a rapper, somebody, two chains, but that's not what we're talking about. He was bound with two chains in between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, let's stop. King Herod had apprehended earlier James, one of the apostles, one of the original disciples. And I'm sure the church gathered together and prayed but the outcome wasn't what they were looking because James was, in fact, martyred. Bloodthirsty King Herod, a wicked king, murdered the apostle. How many of you know when that happens, you feel your vulnerability when you lose someone very close to you, that they had lost James, and now this same wicked King Herod has reached out his hand and grabbed Peter. Peter, the one who on Acts 2, right, stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached. Peter, right, the one that Jesus said... Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail after Peter had a revelation that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And what I'm saying to you is simply this. Herod has Peter the night before he's supposed to be murdered. The night before he's supposed to be martyred. And what is Peter doing in this passage? The Bible says Peter is sleeping. No, 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 time out. I'm convinced you did not hear that. Peter is in deep, rapid eye movement. The dude didn't take any sleep aids. He didn't have any medication. How can you the night before your execution be in such a deep sleep? And we're going to read it a little bit as we read further. The Bible says an angel showed up in Peter's cell and the angel had to rouse him, had to hit him. How many of you would think that right now tonight, if when you're sleeping, an angel of the Lord, an angel that's been in God's presence that is, behold, the imminent glory of the Almighty One shows up in your room. How many of you think you would wake up? My, my, I'm a heavy sleeper, but I think I would wake up. My wife's a light sleeper, like a dog can bark three blocks away, and my wife will wake up and go, what was that? And I go, that's a dog barking three blocks away. She's a light sleeper. But I'm convinced all of us should wake up if an angel, this guy is in such deep sleep that the night before his execution An angel shows up and like, ta-da, and man, Peter stays asleep, and he goes, ta-da, and he just, I could imagine, he opens up his wings and more glory, and Peter just turns over, right? He has to hit Peter. Sean, what's your point? This is my point. God is able to give you so much peace in your toughest times that you could have unnaturally good sleep. And I believe that some of us have been losing sleep. They say that in in this season, and it's true even before this season, that one of the fastest rising health uh, uh, crises is sleep problems and sleep disorders. And I'm telling you, this is one of the pure selling points of the gospel is that when Jesus is the one you have your eye on, you can get your deepest sleep before the world says you're not going to make it. I love this. I just had to tell you that. Now it says, verse 7, now an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up. said, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. I love that. When Peter got up, the chains fell off. Sometimes, as long as we sit back in fear, the chains stay on. But when you stand up and arise and begin to do what God's called you to do, the chains will fall off. Amen. Preach that, John. All right. So he went out and followed him. Did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was dreaming or seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard posts, They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. They went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now I want you to jump down to verse 12. This is important. So when they had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. We'll talk about this. But ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But he said to her, you are beside yourself. Or in other words, girl, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You're 5150. What have you been smoking? Like this is like common synonyms for what she's saying. Yet she kept insisting. This would be the girl wrote it, She kept insisting that it was so. So they said it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to him with his hand to keep silent, he declared to him how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed, and went to another place. What if the coronavirus in this entire pandemic was actually a set up to bring you and I to a place of greater focus on the Lord and desperation for God to do what only God can do? so that we could close out this year with the greatest number of people that have ever given their life, given their lives to the Lord, the greatest miracles we've ever seen with our own eyes and experience. We are going to do that. And God would begin this thing called revival. Now, I want to say this. As I've studied revivals, all revivals, all revivals, and this is the, oh my God, help me to say this, Lord. All revivals began in the darkest points in any nation's history. Revivals never broke out when everything's going good for the simple fact when everything's going good, people don't feel the need for God as much. Revivals always happen in the darkest times, in the toughest times, when the bottom has fallen out. So if I can say this, revivals are most likely when they're least likely. Isaiah 53 says, that speaking of Jesus, who is the great capital R, Reviver, it says he was a tender shoot out of dry ground. You don't expect a blade of grass to break out in dry ground. In other words, you look at the ground and judge it hard, but underneath the ground, something's happening. You look at the season we're in and you judge it as being difficult. And it it, it would be proper to say that. You judge it as being hard, but nothing is too difficult for God who beneath the surface is growing something, I believe, that's gonna break forth in this era of revival. Now, let me define revival. Revival is simply this. It is a sudden manifestation of the Spirit of God that brings miraculous transformation to all that come in contact with it. So the two things about revival, it happens suddenly. It breaks out. I'm already hearing stories of people giving their life to the Lord. I'm hearing stories that down in Southern California, they were baptizing young people by the hundreds in the Pacific Ocean in this past month. And literally, I believe the setup for a whole new Jesus People movement is taking place. You hear these stories of COVID conversions. Now understand, COVID doesn't have the power to convert anyone. I'm, COVID is the season. Christ is the one. The Holy Spirit is the one that converts. But during this season, so many people, including my neighbor, walked up to me after 20 years of me witnessing or telling them about Christ and walked up to me during this season and said, hey, man, I need to come to church. And I need to get right with God, and I got a chance to pray with my neighbor. Revival is simply this. Here's what revival is about, and this is why I feel like we're uniquely set up revival for revival revival redefines business as usual what if COVID is being used as the first move of revival because how many of you know again revivals redefine business as usual they're meant to how many of you know our business as usual got shut down march 27th y'all come on now we, we don't have a business as usual right now. Some people, their businesses are still waiting to open, speaking of business business. But what revival does is revival gives you a new normal. How many of you know we got a new normal? There was a minute ago, literally in this entire shelter in place, well, think about it, right? Bars were shut down, right? Clubs were shut down. Quote, unquote, gentlemen's clubs were shut down, right? Liquor stores were shut down. And Walmart sold out of Bibles. If someone would have told you that bars shut down, uh, man, houses and places of irrepute and clubs shut down and Bibles sold out, you would have said that's revival. Who knows, but perhaps how God could be using it. I'm not saying God sent COVID-19, but God is big enough that he can use it. Revival at its very core is a dynamic redemonstration of New Testament Christianity. And I believe with all the movie houses you know, that you couldn't go to the theater and yeah, you Netflixed it and Hulued, and I caught up on some movies, but I believe we had more time to plug in and dial in our connection with God. And that's what revival is all about. It's about intimacy and not just about activity. Revival is a dynamic demonstration of New Testament Christianity without hype, without pollution, without compromise It's Jesus unveiled and revealed in his people. And this is what I believe is on the agenda of the father, that there's going to come a new unveiling and revealing of who Jesus is. So here is what revival really is. It is about escorting us out of spiritual dryness, spiritual lethargy, spiritual apathy. I don't know about you, but I feel roused. I feel something in this time is shaking me and said, hey, you know what? We, we need to, regardless if it's certain edicts, there's probably a better term for it that has come down in terms of how you could have church or whether or not you could sing in your house. If you add someone other than your family group and had a Bible study and you want to sing in, uh, to, unto Jesus in your home and certain edicts that came down, it says that's not uh, first of all, it would be frowned upon and later on is forbidden. I don't know about you, I feel roused in my faith. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be spiritual, but when politics crosses over in a kingdom spirituality, then I'm going to look like I'm political because it's time for us to make a stand. Now, this is so important because revivals begin with personal encounters. Now I want to flip it all and come to this. What if we've been praying for revival and our thought was revival is chained up someplace in heaven in a closet. And if we pray hard enough, all of a sudden the chains will fall off and revival will come and visit us as a people. I submit to you, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But what if revival isn't chained up? What if revival is hovering over Sacramento? Hovering over Northern California, hovering over the United States of America and it's like it's like a southwest airline or plane in a a holding pattern because there's fog in SFO and it's not allowed to land till the fog clears. What if revival is hovering over your family, hovering over your children, your marriage right now, waiting for a landing strip? Because this thing called revival needs a landing strip in order to come. And the landing strip is in the left center cavity of your chest. And when we have fog there, revival can't land. And maybe God is waiting for the fog of your heart to clear, the fog of my heart to clear So, the revival can land. All right, in the minutes we got left, let's set up this picture. I've already told you, if we go back, here is the scene of our show. Peter is in prison, right? There's a prayer group taking place at Mary's house, which she was an influential, affluent lady that many believe this was the early Jerusalem headquarters for the the first century church. She has a group of intercessors and leaders together, some of the apostles some of the people that are serving uh, in the church, I'm sure some of the deacons. And here they are at her house and they're praying. And what are they praying? They're praying, God, please let Peter go. Please free Peter. Because remember, Peter's in prison because King Herod is going to kill him on the next day, but has him locked up the night before. They're praying and they're in what they believe to be the worst situation of their life in that they feel helpless, that this king has already killed James they're thinking they're probably going to kill Peter and then he's going to round us all up and we're all going to die. And remember, they're, they're within a short span of having seen Jesus crucified on Golgotha. It seems like a dark time unless you understand revival always has a behind the scenes element as they're praying. Unbeknownst to them, an angel is sent to Peter's cell. We talked about this. Peter is in deep sleep. The angel hits Peter. Wake up, dude. Peter wakes up. And the moment Peter stands up, chains fall off him, right? He goes to prison doors. They open up automatically, kind of like the electronic entrances at Walmart and, and, and Target, right? And all of a sudden, these prison guards that are there to watch him, they're going out like I'm going to date myself, like the old Spock touch. Y'all remember the old Star Trek where Spock could grab their shoulder and people would pass out or people going out into power. Come on. These guys, and the next thing Peter knows, he's free. Now, here's an interesting thing. Peter's free, and the angel says, hey, get out of the courtyard, go to your people. So he goes to the Mary's house where they're praying for him. As they go to Mary's house, understand something. He's been, Peter's been free of ch- chains. And I feel like we've had some chains, and I want to give you several chains that may be holding revival back, because I want you to look at Peter for a second, not as Peter the apostle. I want you to look at Peter, that Peter represents a move of God. Peter maybe represents revival. That is one thing for heaven to let a breakthrough loose. It's one thing for heaven to let revival loose. It's one thing for heaven to let the answer to your prayer loose. But it's another thing for you to let them in because God had let Peter loose But for a while there, the people at Mary House wasn't letting Peter in. So maybe right now you're thinking, God, where are you in this? And God is going, I let your miracle loose, but you haven't let your miracle in. It's one thing for him to let it loose. It's another thing for you to let it in. You must make place for it. So here are the chains. Remember, chains fell off Peter. I think of the chains of tradition. When you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. And I think one of the chains that have to fall off for revival to break is the chains of tradition. Well, good news, gang. Guess what? (laughs) Our traditions have been broken because so much of the way, even our Christian traditions, we've had to adapt to to being online. We've had to adapt to to going Zoom, to to having devotionals that come on Facebook, to maybe feeding ourselves in the word because we weren't as dependent. And all of a sudden now, I'm seeing so many churches that the word is getting out that not just congregants and members of the church are getting the word but there's a whole bunch of other folks that they've been pinned at home and they're watching our church services as well chains of tradition the second chain is the chain of fatigue I believe in order for a revival to come the chains of fatigue have to fall I think that we were like that hamster in the habit you ever see you ever had a pet hamster and you had that little thing and the hamsters run forever I think prior to March 17th, I think more Christians were burned out than they were willing to admit. And I think maybe one of the things that the shelter in place did is it actually gave you a shelter in place. But very quickly, it became a shelter in the shadow of the almighty. That maybe the chains of burnout and the chains of fatigue fell off you because you had a season to be at home. You had a season to be with your family. You weren't in the traffic every single day. The majority of us and maybe that chain fell off. And then finally, there is this chain of reluctance, this chain of, of, of kind of weak resolve, this chain where I know I want to go deeper in God, but I just feel, I don't know, I, I, I'm not disciplined enough, Sean, where I, I just feel too tired, or I got so many other things on my plate, and I feel like the chains of tradition, chains of fatigue, and the chains of reluctance, of weak resolve have fallen off, and now there's something approaching, so Peter comes to the house, now here's the scene, and I love this. There's a servant girl named Rhoda. When the Bible tells you someone's name, it's significant because it's because they represent something. Because there's a lot of folks in the Bible in those times and days that were not mentioned. And sometimes they'll just say a prophet or God approached a woman. And we're not told the woman at the well's name. We're not told the woman with the issue of blood's name. We're not told uh, the guy at the gate beautiful's name. But this woman is given a name. Her name is Rhoda. She's a servant. She's employed by Mary, all of a sudden, Peter's let go. He comes to the house that's the early headquarters of the church. Now, remember, Mary and the intercessors and the apostles, the deacons, all the elders oh, God, please let Peter go, please let Peter go. And all of a sudden, Rhoda, the servant girl, goes to the door because she hears a knock. They don't hear it, she hears a knock. She goes and opens the door, and then on the outside of the door was a gate. She opens up the gate. She's talking to Peter. She's going, she's probably thinking, Oh my God praying for Peter. God has moved. Here is Peter. I'm sure she hugged him and, oh, I can't wait. Where well, she got so excited, girl, girlfriend ran back in and forgot and didn't open up fully the, the gate for Peter. So Peter's outside kind of like, you ever do that? You're so excited to see someone. You left them standing. So she goes back in the prayer meeting and she says, I could just see her tapping on Mary's shoulders. Mary's, oh God, Mary got the prayer shawl on. She's rocking. She's crying out to God. Oh God, please let Peter go. And then Rhoda says, Mary, Miss Mary, uh, you know that guy, Peter, you guys are are praying about for God to let go? Guess what? He's at the door. Now, Now, time out. Everybody freeze for a second. What should be Mary's response? Praise the Lord. We've been praying. We got our breakthrough. Revival is being loose. The move of God is being loose. Miracles are coming. No, let me tell you what she did say. She, Mary, turns, I'm going to imagine she's in prayer, praying, oh, God, please let Jesus go. Please, excuse me, please let Peter go. Oh, Jesus, please let Peter go. Stands up, looks at Rhoda, the servant girl, and says, girl, you crazy. Like, time out. You're crazy? Are you kidding me? Like, and then someone up. you know, in the process, said, no, 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 it's not Peter, it's just his angel. Like, what, what? <laughs> You have faith to believe in angels, but you don't have faith to believe that God can send his servant, a move of God, release something to you. You believe, and and I think modern Christians, we believe God for so many things, but it's like we can't believe God to give us a breakthrough in our communities. We can't believe God to save our unsaved loved ones. We can't believe God to turn a nation around and send revival for the third great awakening for a mass number of the emerging generation to have encounters with Christ. You believe this. You believe God raised Jesus from the dead. You believe that, man, there'll be a judgment day. The walls all stand before God. You believe a heaven and you believe a hell. You believe in that spirit realm, but you can't believe God could release something to you that you've been praying for? How can you pray for something yet not be ready for it when it comes knocking at your door? Let me give you three quick reasons. We'll be done. Three reasons on how you can literally Pray for something, yet not be ready for it when it comes knocking at your door. And I've entitled this, Your Answers at the Door, because I believe the answer is knocking at the door, even in the midst of a shelter-in-place and an out-of-control virus that seemed to have spiked and dipped and spiked and dipped, and we're wondering when is going to be the end of this thing. Number one, how could Mary and those people think Rhoda, who answered the door and saw the Peter they've been praying for, Why would they not believe Peter's at the door? Why would a person not believe that God is in control? Let me give you three quick reasons. Number one, a lack of expectation due to past bad experience. Sometimes we're not ready for God to bring our breakthroughs, to bring our miracles, to answer our prayer, because we have a lack of expectation due to past bad experience. you got to remember the people in this house, presumably they had met earlier. What I mean by that is that they had seen James apprehended, and they probably had the same prayer meeting. Oh God, please let James go. Please God, please deal with bloodthirsty King Herod. Don't let him take James. And then what happens is James is beheaded. And so they're going to the next prayer meeting now that this wicked king has apprehended Peter. And although they're praying in the back of their mind, they have a lack of expectation due to past bad experience. I believe God wants to address some of us that we prayed for something and didn't come out the way we thought it should come out, that we contended for something and didn't end in terms of the happy ending that we thought it should have had. And as a result of that, we're still doing our Christian things. We're still viewing church and staying in the word and praying, but we don't realize that we've lowered our expectation because of a past bad experience. And this thing is so important. Sometimes the most difficult thing that hinders us is not the things that hinder our forward movement, the obstacles in front of us. But sometimes they're the things behind us that we can't seem to recuperate from that distract us from the new. I just want to challenge you. In this season, God wants to deal with you in the area where you've allowed past disappointments to cause you to miss his appointments that are coming in this new season. Don't let a lack of expectation due to past bad experience block you from the new thing that God is doing. Hey, maybe you prayed before and it didn't work out, but maybe all of that was meant to lead you to the point where you'd get the biggest breakthrough of your life and America would be visited by a God who has said, he has said that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. And the former rain was Acts chapter 2, right? And all the stuff that broke out there, can you imagine if that was an early rain but there's going to come a lot rain that's going to wash that away. That will feel like droplets. The next thing will be a del- deluge. God's going to move this thing from droplets move to a deluge move. You better get ready. Second thing that I think is important. How can you pray for something yet not be ready for it when it comes knocking at your door? Like this group was with Peter. The other, the second reason is the dumbing down of prayer to mere religious activity. I think sometimes we pray, but we don't realize what we're praying. I remember my kids used to pray, play in this basketball league, and it was CYO, it was Catholic Athletic League, uh, Catholic Youth Organization, CYO, excuse me. And all of us as parents and coaches, and, and, and the parents would stay in the stands, but us coaches and players, we would meet in the center, but the parents were praying in the stands, and we would say, our Father who art in heaven. Well, man... I've never heard people pray that our Father so fast. It would be, our Father who died in heaven, how be thy name, the kingdom come, we will be done on earth, Give and the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not temptation, but let us bring forth as the kingdom power of glory. Amen, come on, let's play a good game. Be good sports. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Do y'all realize what you just prayed? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How powerful is that? But let me say something. I think so often that maybe we can look sideways at people that would say the our father prayer in a religious rote. But you know what? We do it all the time. We pray certain prayers. and We didn't even stop and think about what we just prayed. We didn't stop and consider. And what we've done is we in some cases have dumbed down our prayer to mere religious activity. And let me tell you what. I believe that in the midst of the threat of all the things that are facing us as Americans, I believe it's an opportunity for us to begin to raise the sail of our prayer life, right? S-A-I-L, raise the sail of our prayer life to catch a new wind of God, to pray like we never prayed and believe like we've never believed before because what we need now are desperate prayers. You don't, you don't I don't ask God to move in my life and my family the way I would bless my roast beef and sweet peas, right? Although I do want my roast beef and sweet peas Bless, but there ought to come on. When the Bible talks about Jesus praying, it says, with loud and vehement cries, he made his petitions known to the Father. Loud and vehement. What's that telling me? Is that is a time for desperate praying, folks. It's time for a desperate, desperate grabbing hold of the things of God. This is not the time to be casual. Third and final reason as to why this prayer group could pray, yet not be ready when the answer came. Because here's the whole Deal. Is it possible that we're praying for revival and revival right now is knocking on the door of our hearts, knocking on the door of our church? And because we don't recognize it, we're not letting it in. This is a picture of what they did. Third reason as to why you could pray for something but not be ready when it comes knocking at your door is the mistake of trying to master your plan over implementing the master's plan. The mistake of trying to master your plan instead of implementing the master's plan. Now, follow me. I think the people in that room who were praying for Peter to be let go, I think they had, in the back of their mind, they had a schematic as to how this could happen. They ran a scenario in their head. And the only way they could see this thing working out is if wicked King Herod died. If wicked King Herod died, then Peter could be let go. And so I don't know if they were praying for the man's death. I don't know that they were doing that. But I think in the back of their mind, they're going, God, bring justice. And they thought justice was a wicked king would die, and when he would die, they would let Peter go, and the early church would not be persecuted. But how many of you know, it wasn't about mastering their plan. Their plan was, Herod has to die. You know, it's funny that there are certain people in America that think that there has to be an administration change on a political level in order for there to be revival. Or there's an administration that has to stay in place in order for there to be revival. I'm going to vote responsibly. I know we're going to come voting season. Don't don't go. Oh, no, he's getting political. I'm not. I'm just telling you, I'm going to vote biblically and responsibly. I'm going to pray and see God. Right. But let me tell you something. No matter who takes the White House, God is still on the throne. Somebody needs to hear that right now. I know you got a plan as to how America is going to change, but don't get caught up in mastering your plan. It's better for you to implement the master's plan. Now, here was the master's plan. Herod was going to die, but just not before Peter. Later on, Herod would get prideful in front of the people, and he would say that he was a god, and in that moment, he struck, and the Bible says he's ate up with worms, okay? So that's nasty, okay? Just say, ooh, that's nasty, baby. That's nasty, right? But God would send angels to let Peter go while Herod was on the throne. I'm telling you, revival could be let go no matter when there's Herod's in the administration. God can still send revival, the preconditions we placed on what God is. No, God made one precondition. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So can you imagine now, here's the final. Give me three minutes and we wrap this up. Here is Rhoda the servant girl. Her job is on the line. This is her, this is her employer. This is her boss. She's starting to enter into a mini argument because Mary, who's the lead intercessor, owner of the house, says, girl, you're crazy. But the Bible says that Rhoda kept insisting that it's so. So I could just see Mary going, you're crazy, girl. Peter isn't at the door. And if she could have just been the meek servant girl and go, "Okay, I guess you're right. You're paying my check. No, she says, yeah, he is. And she's got, no, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. She kept insisting that it's so. Now, why is that important? Because I believe we need a rotor company in real life. We need a rotor company in the body of Christ that will keep insisting that God is at work behind the scenes, that will keep insisting that we have a God of breakthroughs, that will keep insisting we have a God that if he can come back out of a grave on the third day, he can come back in the third quarter of this year and bring about something so majestic that only God can get the glory. We need some folks that will keep insisting that God is on the throne, that revival is is in the crosshairs for our nation and the nations of the world, that God is going to bring about his purposes, that he's going to take the freshly crown praises of new newly delivered converts to put upon the head of his son. That is the Moravian said in the uh, Moravian revival that the lamb is worthy of the rewards of his sufferings. We need somebody that will keep insisting when the devil says no you're going to die of this condition. We need somebody that will insist no by his stripes I am healed. We need somebody who will insist that he is my Jehovah Jireh. He can provide in the midst of economy that's flat line. I've lost my job but if my God can drop manna out the sky and have a Perrier water supplied down a river called Cherith for for Elijah. My God can supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We need you to keep insisting that it's so. Now, this is what I love and I've done and I'm getting too excited. All right, this is it. What I love is this is what Sean Smith would do. Part of this is inner court, Sean, like I've been saved for a while. Part of this is inner city, Sean. I grew up in Oakland. She would have said, Mary, oh no, girl, you crazy. And I'd be I'd have snapped my finger. I'd have done my neck. I'd have did three claps. Okay. I'd have ran to the door. I'd have opened up the door, brought Peter with my arm around Peter and pointed at him and go, oh, you know, all oh, y'all take that. But that's not what she did. The Bible says she kept insisting that it was so. And I love the closing of the narrative of this passage. It says that they kept insisting, she kept insisting that it was so. And it says that they heard the knock themselves. And they went to the door and let Peter in. So here's our challenge. We need a, gr- a breed of believers that will keep insisting that God is moving until everyone else hears the knock for themselves. She could have given up telling Peter's at the door, but she insisted until they heard the knock. When do you stop insisting? You stop insisting when everyone else hears the knock that Jesus In Revelations, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And obviously, as an evangelist, we've used it that God is knocking on the door for you to come to Christ. But the context was he was knocking on the door of the church, y'all. And we need to keep insisting Jesus knocking still on the door of the church. It's time for him, for us to let him in with something fresh, something new. And I believe the church is not just the building that some of us are waiting to get back to. The church is you. You're the church. You're the ecclesia. You're the called out ones. God's knocking at your heart. Right now, there could very easily be some people in this season that you are listening to this and you don't know the Lord. Now, there's one group. There's a rotor group that needs to keep insisting that it's so. And even when people are telling you, you're out of your mind. So they said to rotor, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. People, if you really go pedal to the metal, full throttle for Jesus, people going not think you're crazy. But how many of you know the Forward progress of a nation is dependent upon crazy people, not crazy, like stupid, evil, crazy, but people that the world looks at and says, man, they're not normal. The whole progress of a nation depends on like like not normal Christians, but New Testament, God's normal Christians. But now maybe you're here right now and you don't know the Lord. And let me tell you what. The key is understanding this. If your entire life is based on your abilities, can I say something very directly for those who are watching? If your life is based on what you can make happen, in the end, it won't float. It won't float. And maybe the good news and the grace of God is for him in this season of this pandemic, civil unrest, economic uncertainty, and even we don't even know the finish line of this. And and there's kind of a fatigue of when will we not deal with or talk about COVID-19, a coronavirus, the Rona, the Rona, the Rona. cease? I don't know. I don't have a date for you. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. But one thing that this season has showed us is if your life is based on your abilities, you're already sinking. You're looking for an anchor point. The early Christians in the first century church, when they're buried, if you were to go today to the Roman catacombs, you would see carved on their walls a dove, which represents Holy Spirit, You see a fish with his ancient word, Ithacus. It's the reason why some Christians have the fish symbol on the back of their car. And the third thing that they have carved on the walls of the Roman catacombs, where early Christian, first century Christians are buried, is an anchor. And what the anchor represented to them was that, God, you're a hope that supports us in the darkest times. If you don't have an anchor right now, it's pretty evident that you're being tossed to and fro in a way That right now exposes the fact that you don't have that one thing in your life that ties it down. The Bible simply says this. The Bible says actually two things. It says a lot of things, but two things we'll talk about. Number one, it says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. There's something in this world that is so overwhelming that unless you have something out of this world in your world, you'll never overcome the world. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying That whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And that leads me to the second point. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe right now, maybe it's been years since you've called on that name. Maybe you've never called on that name. I want to challenge you right now as easy as A, B, C. A, admit you need Jesus. Admit that Jesus is right. He is who he says he is. B, believe. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe that Jesus is Lord. C, confess your sins confess out of your mouth Jesus Lord And if you would do that if you'll pray something along the prayer of Jesus coming in my life ask you to forgive me of my sins Lord I need help I ask you to take the throne seat and the reins of my life and I surrender it to you God give me a new heart new life and I surrender to you if you pray that prayer right now God will immediately meet you and you'll be transformed forever And so, Lord, I just pray that. And I also want to pray in this last minute. You guys have been so patient. I pray right now for so many believers that have been in despair, that have been in a situation where they felt hopeless. Some have felt a little beat down. Some are bewildered as to God, where are you in all this? Lord, just like they were in that room, little did they know that their prayers had caused what they were praying for to be released. And it began to knock at the door. Lord, give us ears like Rhoda. Can't stop, won't stop. I'm going to insist that God is at work and there's a move of God coming. And Lord, I pray you would encourage your people and I pray breakthroughs and I thank you. And take a minute right now, wherever you're at, and don't, I know you're kind of, okay, we're done. Take a moment right now and become aware of Holy Spirit. In that room, they were so aware of the religious activity of praying, they weren't aware that what was going on was the Holy Spirit because he had been released at this point was bringing Peter right in their midst. Become aware right now that the Holy Spirit is with you right where you're at. Lord, I just pray and I bless your people. I thank you for this time. Let it be encouraging. And I pray that this would be the seed of revival in our hearts because revivals need real estate in order to operate. And the first piece of real estate God's looking for is the left center cavity of your chest. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. Again, I'm Sean Smith. Sure appreciate you guys. And real life, you guys are amazing. God bless.